0: This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ, in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. Good evening. I knew I forgot something, probably as far as the technology goes, the most important part, but... I want to thank David for his prayer, and it is my prayer that the things we look at, first of all, that they're true and that they glorify God, and hopefully everybody in this room tonight can get something out of of the things that we'll look at tonight. You know, I want to start with a question, maybe an odd question I'll ask everybody. Has anyone ever tried to kill you? And literally, has someone ever tried to really take your life from you? Has anyone ever even threatened to do that, seriously threatened, or maybe ch- said, I'm gonna chase you down and I'm gonna kill you? You know, we're gonna look at an example tonight that, that has that scenario in it. And if, let's say somebody did really threaten you, you felt like you were going to die if this person um, was, catches up and finds you. And let's say you have the opportunity where you come upon this person and they're defenseless. They have their back turned to you, and there's your opportunity to get even. And you have a trusted associate or friend with you that is saying in your ear, maybe God gave you this opportunity. Why don't you get even with this man? I mean, he is coming after your life. Would you have the strength and the resolve to say, no, I'm not going to take revenge on this person? What if it happened a second time? And maybe Again, this person is sleeping, and there's a weapon there. And the person with you says, "You don't even have to do anything. Just give me the word, and I'll get rid of this guy for you." Would you have the strength to say, "No, this is not right"? We're going to look at a scenario very similar to that tonight, and that of of uh, David. Um, this is somewhat a, a continuation of our study we did. I think it was back in July when we looked at the account of Joab, and Joab was. David's Leader of the of David's army and we looked at him and just as far as comparing his actions with that of David We saw a man that operated a little bit differently than David did you know David is described by God this is a man after my own heart and in that study at least compared to David, I kind of concluded that Joab, well, if David's a man after God's own heart, Joab is really just a man after his own heart. Because although Joab was loyal, always loyal to David, never forsake him, but it, he had a limit. When he disagreed with David or thought that something needed to be done that David didn't approve of, he took matters into his own hands. For example, Abner had just come and made an agreement with David. Brought, was going to bring peace to the kingdom. Israel and Judah, and he leaves, and Joab scolds David, how dare you do that, and goes and hunts Abner down and kills him. You know, brutal death uh, ends Abner's life. Time goes on, Joab is, is leading David's army. They're fleeing in the wilderness from Absalom, which is David's son, and David and many witnesses around says, be gentle with the man Absalom. So what does Joab do? He goes out and says, enough of this, brutally kills David's son. And then last but not least, Amasa, who has been put in charge of the army, Joab calls him over and takes care of him. Brutal death leaves him in the road. And Joab seems to me like if there was ever a man that lived by the sword and died by the sword, it was him. Tonight we're going to look at his counterpart and that is David, the man after God's own heart. And we're going to see how David handled things, how his mindset was, how he handled the person and ultimately God, his relationship with his king and the ultimate king, God. And so while I considered these two men, really was just doing a character study between these two men, and really, uh, there are several powerful messages came out while I went through uh, looking at this example of where David spares Saul. And he not only spares Saul once, he does it twice. And we're going to see several teachable moments uh, that David gives us all in these uh, accounts. Just for the backstory, story, uh, I want to notice a couple verses because Saul is the first king of Israel. You probably all know that he was chosen hand picked by god you will lead my people and we know that he botches it big time you know he he goes and he does unlawful sacrifices and samuel said, you know gets on to him about that then later on uh, he was supposed to wipe out i think it was Amal- amalek and the king agag he spares the king agag he he takes the spoil and said yeah this is this is better and Notice what Samuel tells Saul in in these two verses here. And these are going to be coming from the New King James tonight. This is 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14 says, But now your kingdom shall not continue. Again, this is Samuel speaking to Saul. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And then in 1 Samuel 15 and 28, Samuel said to him, this is to Saul, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And that, ouch, you know, this is the king of Israel. And Samuel, and Saul knows good and well that Samuel's not blowing smoke. You know, he knows that what Samuel says is the truth. So when Samuel says, tells him, you know, it's your time is limited now not only that the kingdom's going to go to a man who is better than you you know that that i would think had to hurt so we know that his replacement is going to be a better man a man after his own heart and we're going to see proof of that tonight in the scripture We're not going to read the total account. If you go into chapter 16, you'll see that, that David is, and we know the account where Samuel goes out to Jesse and all the sons come by and there's kind of disbelief. Well, yeah, right, it's not going to be David. And of course, that's the man who God chooses to be king. And Samuel anoints him, and that's documented in the 16th chapter. And then not long after that, Uh, Saul is troubled and his servants say, hey, let's get you somebody to play you music. The harp is what it's called. I'm not sure that's like the harp we're used to seeing, maybe like a lyre or a small handheld type instrument, but they recruit David to come play for the king to ease his mind. David ends up finding favor, great favor by Saul. He just is very impressed with this young man. He becomes his armor bearer. And things are going very well. David is highly thought of by Saul, but we'll see that as soon as that starts stepping on Saul's ego, we're going to see that things turn around pretty quick. And that that favor that Saul had for David is going to turn to jealousy and resentment. So we'll go to the 18th chapter of 1 Samuel, starting with verse 5, read through verse 9. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. And Saul is probably very well pleased with this. Verse 7, So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said, They've ascribed to David ten thousands. To me, they've ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that point forward. So that's your turning point right there. And maybe he probably hasn't connected the dots yet, but, you know, he was told by Samuel, there's going to be a man better than you that's going to take over. And now we have a man here that the people, these women, are singing that is ten times more successful than you. So, uh, so we see this now, this jealousy start, and from this point on, things change, and now Saul is going to look differently upon David. And so Saul, again, is never happy with David from this point forward, and that's just to put it nicely. We're going to see some of the behavior uh, in our next verses. 1 Samuel 18, 10 and 11. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, "I will pin David to the wall." But David escaped his presence twice. So, next day, David is, you know, playing his music, and you know, and you got to think that he this is something that he did all the time. This was not the first time he's playing music. So he's playing. It says he's playing music with his hand. That's he's got a hand instrument, as at other times. But you got to think that. He sees the king's behavior, and he probably knows something is up. It says that there's a the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul. David is, escapes. I don't think this is he was transported or anything. He probably sees something is wrong. He's got a, Saul's got the spear in his hand. And before, you know, he gets killed, David escapes his presence. And it's important to note it's twice because it's going to happen again. This is the first of two of these incidents. Something we need to notice, though, is that Saul had the intent to kill David. It's not really just to give him a message. He wanted to pin him to the... He wanted David to be, to be dead. And that's going to be significant uh, later on in our study. And we're going to see how that differs when the shoe is on the other foot. Verse 12, and this is a key point here. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So who can be against David at this point? The Lord is with David. Who can be against anybody that the Lord is with? Nobody can. Although Saul knows good and well that God is with David, does he stop there? Seeing that David is a good man, does he stop there? It says here, Saul was afraid of David because the Lord is with him. So Saul recognizes this, the Lord is with this man here. I'm going to kill him. And that's kind of hard to, to, to wrap your head around there, but I guess this human nature, that jealousy, he, he just consumes him. And we're going to see that he, he repeatedly wants to kill David. But going against the Lord, whether it be Saul, whether it be you, or whether it be me, Going against the Lord and going against his anointed is never going to bode well for anybody. We heard a study recently about uh, Balaam. He kept trying to go against the Lord's people. Well, here we have Saul. He's going to, as the king, as the man that's leading God's people, he is now going to find himself going against one of the Lord's anointed. And there's no mystery why the Lord left Saul. Because he, he was put in that position. He, God chose him to lead the people. All he had to do was follow the orders of God. God didn't leave him hanging in mystery. But he went out. He offered unlawful sacrifices. He didn't do the things he was supposed to do. And, and didn't, I don't think he seemed very remorseful about it. But the love of God, remember, is to keep God's commandments. And you have the the first king of Israel doing exactly the opposite of that, defying God's commands. And so there is nothing that Saul can do to change the inevitable. Uh, David is going to be the king, but we're going to see he certainly doesn't make this a smooth transition of power. And soon after this, you know, David... You know, some people might. You know, this man, the king, tried to kill me. Um, I'm not going back over there. But you know, David wasn't leaving. He was gonna. He was gonna stick around. And soon after this, you know, David becomes friends with Saul's son Jonathan, best friends. And eventually, Saul offers him his daughter, actually two of his daughters, for marriage. He he becomes eventually Saul's son-in-law. And I know that there's several of us here tonight that have daughters. And so with that in mind, just just think about it from that aspect of how Saul deals with his own daughter. And and you might want to grab a Kleenex because it's a real tearjerker. 1 Samuel 18, verse 20, and this is just in that same chapter. So this is not long after uh, Saul tried to kill David. Now, Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Oh, that is, that'll just make your heart melt, won't it? He is he is just so happy that his daughter found not only a man, but a good man. Verse 21, so Saul said, I will give her to him, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. So just kind of unbelievable like that father-daughter relationship that he didn't seem to care too much that that his daughter really liked, loved this man well great that way I can she can be a snare to him that's what I'm thinking about down in verse 28 and 29 thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michael Saul's daughter loved him And Saul was still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. So what should have been like maybe a tender moment or heartwarming that this man that has, I mean, this is a a guy that is just, he knows the Lord is with him. That is a great thing for your daughter to be married to this guy. And instead of that, what does it become? Just a, a source of making his uh, jealousy just hatred for for David even worse he became David's enemy continually his mortal enemy and so David is still not leaving he's hanging around Uh, Jonathan as I've already mentioned Jonathan's his best friend he convinces Saul hey why are you treating David so badly this is not right and David comes back into Saul's presence once again to play music for him. I mean, that's what he did for the king. And we're going to see this pretty much the same scenario play out. 1 Samuel 19, verses 9 through 11. Now the distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in, in his house with his spear in his hand. And David was playing music with his hand. Then Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear. But he slipped away from Saul's presence and he drove the spear into the wall. So David fled and escaped that night. Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him and to kill him in the morning. And Michael, David's wife, told him saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So David now is going to run for his life and you continue reading throughout the entire account. You'll see that Saul spares no expense to kill David. He goes to extremes. He's going to put together three thousand of his best men to go hunt David down for the sole purpose of ending David's life. In chapter 22, probably the most sickening part of it is in 22, chapter 22, where Saul has not just one priest executed. Eighty-five priests executed. This is the king of Israel again. God's chosen man to lead his people. He has 85 priests executed for doing wrong, unlawful things. No, because he feels like they conspired with David against him. And so with all of that in mind, you do you would think that David, knowing that he has been promised that he will be king, you think he might be tempted maybe when he is given the opportunity to end Saul's life and take his place at king as king so we're going to look at the first example now of when David spares Saul. and so i want to if you want to turn with me, I'm not going to have all the verses up here, but I'm going to turn to first samuel chapter twenty four I'm going to read this whole chapter because There's a lot in here, I think, that are important uh, to our study tonight. Chapter 24 and verse 1. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En-Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats. So he came to the 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 sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. And Saul went in to attend to his needs. David and his, and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. Then the men of David said to him, This is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your, deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. I want to notice that verse 4. Because the men of David say to him, and I didn't catch this. I was going over my notes last night, and I started to question this. Did God really ever tell David this? The men of David say to him, this is the day the Lord said to you, behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand that you may do to him as seems good to you. I, I couldn't find that, at least not related to David and Saul, that, he, that God told David this about Saul whether it was told to him that these people are saying this for some reason, but whether or not, that may be beside the point because what's important is how David is going to respond to that. David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So his people are saying, look, here's your opportunity. God's told you he's going to deliver him into your hand that you can do what seems good to you. And what seemed good to David? To secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And even then what happens? Verse 5. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. Okay, this is a man that has thrown spears at you, hoping to pin you to the wall. He's, He's coming to kill you with his whole army. But it's troubling you because because you cut his, a corner of his robe off. And I'm telling you, that is a thinking on another level there. You know, that's spiritual thinking instead of, I'm just going to get even, I'm going to save my own life. Yeah, at that point for David, it may have been for his flesh. Let's eliminate the, the threat to me. But he was thinking on another level there. His heart was troubled because he cut the king's robe and then listen to this and this is what he teaches his people and he teaches us he said to his men here in verse 6 the lord forbid that i should do this thing to my master the lord's anointed to stretch out to stretch out my hand against him seeing he is the anointed of the lord and that is could we do that in that if we were in that situation Continuing on in verse 7. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. David also arose afterwards, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. And, and David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave, and someone urged me to kill you. But my eye spared you, and I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me. Let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore, let the Lord be judge, and judge between you and me, and see and plead my case, and deliver me out of your hand. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. Then he said to David, You are more righteous than I. For you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Very, I don't have to tell you, very impressive of David here, just this... Just God teaches us so much through this example. You have a man's life in your hands, a man that tried to directly tried to kill you twice, and now he's hunting you, spending all these resources trying to kill you, but you don't seek revenge. you don't you just put it in God's hands. So there's a difference there between Saul's heart and David's. You see, Saul. When he sat in that room while David was playing the instrument, he had the intent to kill David. And because of the Lord, David was able to escape. Saul had the intent to kill and could not. David could have killed, but he didn't have the intent. He saw that I'm going to put this in God's hands. If if God wants this man to perish... He will perish, but it's not going to be by my hand. So there's just a clear difference. And that is why we see, as even Saul admits, you are better than I am, David. And Saul admits it. He knows it. But not long after, you know, he said he's not going to chase him anymore. But, you know, chapter 26, we're going to see kind of the same thing happen. So skip over to chapter 26, starting in verse 1. Now the Ziphites came to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding in the hill of Hakalah opposite Jeshimon?" Then Saul arose and went down to the wilderness of Ziph, having three thousand chosen men of Israel with him, to seek David in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul encamped in the hill of Hakalah, which is opposite Jeshimon, by the road. But David stayed in the wilderness, and he saw that Saul came after him into the wilderness. David therefore sent out spies and understood that Saul had indeed come. So David arose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay, and Abner the son of Ner, the commander of the army. Now Saul lay within the camp, with the people encamped all around him. Then David answered and said to Ahimelech the Hittite and to Abishai the son of Zeruiah, brother of Joab, saying, Who will go down with me to Saul in the camp? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai came to the people by night, and there Saul lay sleeping within the camp, with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. And Abner and the people lay all around him. And then in verse 8, then Abishai said to David, God has delivered your enemy into your hand this day. Now therefore, please, let me strike him at once with the spear right to the earth, and I will not have to strike him a second time. So, here we see maybe it's even elevated a little bit more. First of all, I want to notice, it wasn't Joab that went down there with him. You know, maybe Joab just, you know, takes care of business. But Abishai, for I don't know what the reason is there, but all we know is Abishai went down there with him. And he tells David, and Abishai is, you know, a trusted man of David's. And, you know, he's just not, he, he's going to defer to David, but he's, he again repeats that same thing as back in the cave. He said, look, here we go again. God has delivered your enemy in your hands. Just give me the okay, and it's done. I don't I, One time, and he's gone. And David wouldn't even have to lift a finger. Verse 9, we're going to see how how David teaches us yet again. Verse 9, But David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him, for who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? David said furthermore, As the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. So David took the spear and the jug of water by Saul's head and they got away and no man saw or knew it or awoke for they were all asleep because a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen on them. Now David went over to the other side and stood on the top of a hill afar off, a great distance being between them. And David called out to the people and to Abner, the son of Ner, saying, Do you not answer, Abner? And Abner answered and said, Who are you calling out to the king? In other words, who do you think you are calling out to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man? And who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not guarded your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy your lord the king. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not guarded your master, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is and the jug of water that was by his head. Then Saul knew David's voice and said, Is that your voice, my son David? David said, It is my voice, my lord, O king. And he said, Why does my lord thus pursue his servant? For what have I done, or what evil is in my hand? Now therefore, please, let my lord the king hear the words of his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is the children of men, may they be cursed before the lord. For they have driven me out this day from sharing in the inheritance of the lord, saying, Go serve other gods. So now, do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea, as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more, because my life was precious in your eyes this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. And David answered and said, Here is the king's spear. Let one of the young men come over and get it. May the Lord repay every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord delivered you into my hand today, but I would not stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And indeed, as your life was valued much this day in my eyes, so let my life be valued much in the eyes of the Lord, and let him deliver me out of all tribulation. Then Saul said to David, May you be blessed, my son David. You shall both do great things and still prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. So again, Saul was out there not just with some little ragtag bunch of of friends. He was out there with the the highest trained people. men in the military, the mightiest men, 3,000 men there to to find and kill David. What kind of man does it take to restrain themselves from killing this person uh, that wants them dead, that's trying to take their life? What does that take? Well, it takes a man after God's heart, whose heart is with God. If David would, in that cave, would have struck down Saul, had somebody do it, If David would have said to Abishai, yes, the spear is there, do this, would that have been God's will? No. It would have been either David's will or it would have been the will of those men that were saying, take advantage of this. It would not have been God's will. And see, David's heart was with God, and he said, this is not God's will that I should strike down the king. And that has so many ramifications. This is the first king of Israel me, a man of after God's own heart, is that really how we want to transfer power Where I'm going to kill a man in a cave? I'm going to stab him on the ground when he's asleep? No, David said, if Saul is going to die, it's God. God is going to take care of that. David didn't even have to lift a finger here in this second example, but, you know, he restrained his men, don't do this. Verses... Uh, Reread verses 9 through 11. David said to Abishai, Do not destroy him. Who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? That applies to us today. Who can stretch out his hand against the Lord's anointed, against God's children and be guiltless? David said, Furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall go out to battle to perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. And hopefully we have that same mindset. The Lord forbid that I do any harm to any of the Lord's anointed. Let God determine the defeat of our enemies. In this account, David respected God's will because he realized that Saul, even though Saul was trying to kill him, he realized that that was God's anointed king. It was not his place to put the king to death. Even Saul admitted, David, you're a better man than I am. You have, I've done you this evil. You've repaid me good for that evil. You're better than I am. And God, that is relevant to us today, he expects us to do exactly that, to not seek revenge. Even if someone pays us evil, repay that with good. Romans 12, verses 17 through 20. Says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And it is good when we do exactly that, when we repay evil with good. That is a good thing. Do that in the sight of men. Verse 18 If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. No matter what it takes, give it your all, 100% to live. Find peace with everyone. Verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And then finally, Romans 12, verse 21, Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. And certainly David gave us some examples of that in our our study tonight. Don't be overcome with evil. Don't let that moment make you do something you're going to regret. When it comes to somebody that's done you wrong, sure, it may hurt you, may just hurt your ego. Don't be overcome by that evil. Overcome it with good. You will never regret that. So tonight, if you are holding a grudge against someone, because that's something that maybe we all do at some point in time, we, we have something against somebody. If we are holding a grudge against someone tonight, maybe ask ourselves, is this person, have they tried to kill me? Or are they really trying to end my life? Have they threatened me, ran me out of town? Probably not. You know, most of the things we hold a grudge with, probably money or, you know, just whatever. You know, it's probably not to the level that David experienced where he was running for his life. So maybe we can turn to the example and consider that example of David. Hey, this person hasn't done half the things that Saul did to David. David was considered a man after God's own heart. I want to follow that example. So if if you're holding a grudge against somebody tonight, I would just say think about this and give that grudge up. Don't be overcome by evil because if you're seeking revenge, getting revenge is never going to be God's will because God tells us that. God says, I will repay. So it's never going to be God's will to go out and get even with somebody. It's going to be your own will. Don't be like, David would have been had he listened to those men and killed Saul on the ground. Don't do that. Overcome evil with good. Put it in God's hands. And then taking that, let's take it one step further. Do we have not just a grudge against anyone, but do we have a grudge or something against somebody in the body of Christ? Because is not that Christian the Lord's anointed? Don't find yourself in the position of Saul where you are actually fighting against the Lord's anointed because that will never bode well for you, for me. It never will bode well. God will not tolerate his children not getting along, holding grudges with one another. Let it go. Overcome evil with good. And remember, fellow Christians are the Lord's anointed. Don't try to get revenge, be like David on on our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Why would I, God forbid that I lift my hand against my brother, the Lord's anointed. I hope these things have been a benefit to you this evening. Um, At this time, as our custom is, we will stand and sing a a song of invitation. If you have heard the gospel plan of salvation and you're ready to be baptized, we urge you to do that tonight. Um, We have water back here. The only thing is the question is asked in the New Testament. Here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Well, the only hindrance to you tonight, if you know that's what you should do, don't be the hindrance. You know, take care of that while you have the opportunity. Or if you need the prayers of the church, uh, we offer this song of invitation. If you be of either class, come and have a, a seat on the front row.